Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Like some food for thought? Tune in to Radical Philosophy with discussions on freedom, happiness, knowledge, evil and rational argument. With words from Midgley, Caputi, Adams, Stewart, Wolf, and Hagen Gruber. Let's get radical about philosophy. Decision. You tuned into Radical Philosophy. I'm your host, Beth Matthews. Today on the program, I'm going to be speaking with Dr. Vanessa Barassi about the philosophy of art. Welcome to the program. Thank you. Thanks for having me on the show. Could you give us some background information about yourself? Um, so I'm I'm a latecomer to philosophy, really. I had a career in marketing. Um, where I worked primarily on kind of create the creative side, so branding and eventing, and then you know digital and film, and um, and I was actually working on a film when I went to a philosophy lecture because someone had told me that they would have better ideas on how to market color than anyone else, and I just actually found the it was a research room, and I I just found the whole two hours completely fascinating and signed up to do a master's actually in philosophy there and then at that university, King's College London. So I did a master's there, which was great fun, went back to work, realised I missed it, went back to philosophy, (laughs) did my PhD, and then joined the faculty there as a lecturer for a year. And now I work there still teaching, but I'm actually, I've left um, full-time, well, I did leave full-time research and I went to do an art start an art degree I'm interested in portraiture and now I'm this year I'm on a postdoc doing research again for philosophy but linked to the art that I've been doing so would you have a oh yeah Mm. would you have a um definition of art that's a really interesting question it's that fact one that we have a whole we dedicate a whole week to on our philosophy of art course because there's I mean, art's kind of an anarchist stream. It sort of defies definition. So anything that you want to think about, if you put all the artworks in the world together and try to find out what they have in common, that would be a difficult task. But of course, the problem is that next week someone can invent something, as artists do, that's radically new and defies being categorised in that way. And suddenly your definition goes out the window. And we have had these big movements probably in the last hundred years, the ready-made movements, the one um, that's kind of blown up our definitions of art. Um, And I, I do think that it would be, it's a bit of a thankless task trying to work out what a definition of art is. There's definitely something family resemblance to it, as Wittgenstein might have said. Um, and there's something that you, there can be frustrations in trying to encapsulate all the mediums that artworks seem to turn up in under a definition. So you might want to not bother with that, kick the can down the road and go along with Dominic Lopez, a philosopher from um, Canada, and just think, I'm going to take a passing the buck view on this. And I'm not going to look for a definition of art. 
I'm just going to look for a definition of painting or a definition of sculpture. And I think probably going down those routes is a little more satisfying. Yeah, that's a point. I mean, it's it's sort of an umbrella term, really, isn't mm. it? So yeah. what is the connection or, or is there a connection between philosophy and art? So this is also a, a very apt question because um, so to, there are two ways of approaching that. For philosophers, they just entitle, they think, to think about art in the same way they might think about anything else. So philosophy of time, philosophy of perception, philosophy of paintings, you might think that that's all makes perfect sense to a philosopher. They just use their methodologies and approach the puzzles with that mindset. But to someone that's standing at the outside of both of those two things, they're neither into philosophy nor into art. This just looks like going along and ordering eggs and chips on a plate. You've put them together, but they don't seem to be, you know, deeply combined. They they might just complement each other. Um, and I think that there are, the truth is that there is something to both those positions, that a lot of the time we can't use art as part of our methodology for philosophy. And then we'll talk about that a bit in a while. And yet there's something very stimulating about contemplating artworks in a philosophical mindset. And I think it can help you progress some intransigent philosophical puzzles by bringing art into your kind of evidence bag, if you like. So in that sense, I think they can link. Could art be a form of philosophy? So this is something that Hegel was was kind of contemplated and was very much against. He thought that when you philosophy was too discursive to be, you know, it, it was too muscular in the sense of it needed words to progress itself. And so art wasn't going to cut the mustard. But I think he had in his mind there, may, maybe he had in mind poetry and plays, but he, he might not have quite considered the postmodern novel, um, the postmodern film. And I, I think that I, I have good hopes for certain artistic um, productions and specifically I'm thinking of film here and films like um, Inception, The Matrix even, um, Tenant by Christopher Nolan that pose and engage us in, you know, either deep, deeply or even just at the beginning of a philosophical puzzle. So I, I do think that it can be used that way. And I'm sure video games have great reach actually in that, in that regard, because they're so, you know, you, you're so immersed in them. Yeah. Do you think that philosophy can contribute to the study of art? Um, I do, because I think that um, philosophers hold each other to account on what they say in a different way to the way art critics and art theorists do, because they're after different ends. So what you will learn from an art historian is where and where the picture was painted. They might verify who painted it. Um, they might be able to tell you something about the mediums used. I mean, I, I know I'm focusing a lot on paintings, but that's probably because it's my area. Whereas the philosopher might be much more interested in why did the artist pick up on this theme in the first place? What is it they're trying to tell us? Um, how successful are they? Have they got any insights that we can glean? So we're, I think that there's room for a kind of philosophical criticism of art 
um, alongside a traditional one. Yeah. Mm. What philosophical frameworks are currently dominant on the contemporary art scene? Do you know, I, I actually don't know the answer to that. I, I'm not sure. I'm, I've been at art school and I'm not sure that there was anyone that mentioned any philosophers. I mean, they might have mentioned Nietzsche, but I'm not sure that he's influential as such. I think they just, you know, people just like reading him. Um, so I had to think about this before I came to meet you. And there's, I think there's two answers to this. One is the big picture. And that can be just things we told we just talked about. So I think video gamers and filmmakers are interested in difficulties that philosophers are facing, whether they're in the scientific sphere or whether they're in the arts and humanities sphere, and, and they like to make films about them. So even your genre film about arrival, I think, was probably the cleverest one I've seen for a while, where the director's interested in understanding what would happen if we engaged with a life form that had a completely different sense of time to us? Um, and these are kind of big picture influences. They, they kind of take a headline and run with it. And then you've got at the kind of local level, much more engagement between philosopher and artists through residencies. Um, this is something that we've done in our organization, the Center for Philosophy and Arts, where we brought together, for example, Matt Saturio, professor in King's College London, who's working on cutting edge um, research into our sense of time. And he worked with an artist called Ted Hunt, who is um, a highly proficient graphic designer. And together they came up with a project where the art itself encapsulated some of these concerns about different notions of time that are being worked through in the philosophy field. So in that sense, I think that there was huge, there was kind of a very real and definite influence between philosopher and artist because through the residency, they were brought together and they talked to each other regularly, looked at the work that both were doing and actually talk, you know, used that to then go away and make changes to their own project. Um, there's been some other really interesting projects there as well. Political philosophy with Dr. Sarah Fine now at Cambridge. Um, and various artists working on political issues. So I think there can be deep synergies there. Have there been any philosophers that have influenced recent and contemporary work in the arts and in arts theory? Um, again, I think there's that's the the answer is sadly that philosophers don't get much airtime because. And I think the reason for that possibly is that they say too much <laughs> and they say it for too long and they say it by writing it down. And it's just all quite inaccessible if you're not into it, you know, if you're not into the philosophy in a big way. And I think artists aren't into the philosophy in a big way. They're into the art. So they don't they want to resist that. But we have, you know, again, um, recently we've seen attempts to put things in a more accessible way. And um, in the last actually six months, we've been running a series of events at the National Gallery in Trafalgar Square in London, where we just make a 10 minute film in the gallery. It's quite nicely produced. So it's, it's kind of visually interesting to look at where we take pieces from the gallery and look at how they can stimulate and, and act as exemplars in our investigations into emotions. 
So these are, you know, regret, euphoria, the sublime, love. These are emotions that affect all of us. And artworks are particularly good ways of conveying and kind of getting us to think about them. And so what can philosophy add there? Well, maybe it can add a few things for us to think about, given that we start with the artwork. And I think that's probably a more successful formula <laughs> going forward than a book that, you know, is going to take you weeks to wade through. Oh, for sure. It's just far too heavy for a lot of people. Mm. <laughs> what do you think it is that, philosophical perspective of art is important um let's just move around actually because there's someone in the back and that is up to something and it's going to start distracting us you're not um you're not filming this are you it's just no no okay but it will just distract me. I can see she's coming down the stairs. You're right. My kids and God knows who else is going to start walking in the kitchen. Um, just repeat the question again, if you wouldn't mind, Beth. Oh, sure. Um, why is the philosophical perspective of art important? Well, what, do, what did you mean by that? Do you mean the way that philosophy pushes art, you know, predicts art will go or? Yeah, well, yeah, I mean, why, why why is it important to sort of, to have a philosophical perspective of mm-hmm. art? I mean, I suppose you could, you know, there's a philosophical perspective of anything really. Yeah. But, but what, what's the importance with the, with the one and art? Yeah, I, I think it's a good question. Um, I do struggle with that. I mean, I think it depends. It will be very audience specific. So as if you're just in the art as an appreciator, then I think having a framework of understanding not just the kind of arts that we've enjoyed in the past, but why these arts in particular are reflecting something about society today um, can it's important not only to your understanding of the art, also your evaluation of it. And I think their philosophy can help sharpen some of the language um, because it's not wedded to any particular art in the way that I think sometimes curators are invested. You know, it's their show. They want you to love it. Whereas one hopes that the philosopher remains a little bit more dispassionate. Um, I think, But I do think that it's also a really rich source of guidance for artists themselves in terms of understanding what they're up to. So um, there are many times when I might paint something for the sheer fun of applying the paint to the surface. And I'm not trying to do anything more serious than that. If, if you enjoy what I'm painting, that's great news. Um, but I'm, you know, if someone was to co-opt it into some, you know, bigger discussion and try and make you know a little bit like having your words co-opted I think philosophy can help you resist that and be clearer about where where this sits and what it's for um on the other side it can also help you to develop I think what for some artists um a more deliberate framework for developing your own work where might you go with it what's worth pursuing 
how how does this touch into other areas of life if having these kind of uh, touch points are actually important to you so I think in that regard it, it can help both with audiences and with artists now this question is probably along the same lines but could you explain about the relationship between philosophical texts and artworks? Oh, um, <laughs> the, the relationship between, I suppose it depends which artworks we're talking about. Um, so philosophical texts are obviously written in words and they're very dependent for their meaning on syntax and grammar. And I suppose you, you, you were saying you specialise in paintings. Um, could you apply that to my, my sort of favourite type of painting is the old masters? Ah, I see. Um, yes, there is actually a particular philosopher who's very well known for, for con not conflating, that sounds wrong, twisting up in the most delightful <gasps> way both theories of art theories of philosophy and his take on actual artworks, this guy called Richard Volheim. Um, and what he, where, where the two met, I think, was in his incredible understanding of what Titian might have been up to. So he does a whole chapter on, for example, in the old artworks, why Titian played with space in the way that he did, why Angler gently corrupted space in the way that he did, and how, and there was nothing in the other canons in the art criticism literature, in the art theory literature, that was kind of equal to explaining that. So I think that you can get these really rich insights, um, whether or not that would have been useful to them you know, at the time, who knows. Um, but yeah, I think it would be interesting to see if you could, if those conversations happen with contemporary artists, what might spring from it. Yeah, look, I think another another sort of area too is uh, in, in philosophy is ethics that come into uh, work as well. Do you remember yeah. the quite, um, there's been a couple of quite famous ones. One was Piss Christ. Yeah. And there was a lot of ethics involved in that. And and um, just recently there was a um, statue of Mary Wollstonecraft. Oh, yeah. And she was, yeah. she was naked. And there, yeah. I mean, you know, you could say, okay, that's quite artistic. But on the other side, I mean, there was there was a lot of people voicing a protest about that. Yeah. I suppose it, it depends on whether you think that art's got licence to be offensive. I mean, I think that the problem with those two works that they were, it was that they offended certain people. Um, the Piss Christ, for obvious reasons, it just felt almost blasphemous, I'm sure. Um and the Mary Wollstone Croft actually won, uh, interesting enough, I think offended more people because they felt it was unattractive, um, which I thought was an interesting twist. Like, I'm not sure that Wollstone Croft had to be attractive or why that would matter. Um, um, more than having kind of an ethical dilemma there. But you do get these ethical dilemmas as well as the piece itself being offensive, the artist being offensive. So Gauguin... Um, who has pictures, you know, his pictures are all over the world and he's considered to be one of our great artists. It looks like he was up to very suspicious stuff in um, in the South Seas with underage girls. And you have equally um, a sculptor called Eric Gill, um, whose works are plastered all over the BBC in the UK 
And actually, Eric Gill was also found guilty, I think, of very unsavory acts. So, you, you know, the question is, do you allow the art to persist, to endure and be publicly enjoyed in the cases where the artists themselves are um, clearly kind of what you might just call bad people? Can you have good art from bad people or is that just too problematic? And in that sense, I think philosophers have got weighed in on the debate to try and help people sort things out. Mm. So you, you mentioned before about the, the filming of particular objects. I suppose, um, you know, as you were saying, film falls into the category of, of art as well, wouldn't it? Yeah, I don't think so. And so are you thinking about things like the point? The, the, um, so this is another discussion which tends to be handled differently to the ethical discussion on porn and art. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. Yes. So one of the discussions, one of the questions that's funnily enough that's posed, I mean, some of the questions about pornographic art are to do with whether it's degrading, and that does seem to be an ethical issue. But for for many others, and the ones that actually seems to attract more interest, especially um, through younger students, is whether something can be both pornographic and artistic at the same time. So whether this is just is this something that we, you know, can you say the word pornographic art with a straight face or do you have to have something that's either pornographic or art maybe under the title of erotica? Um, and that's something that generate has generated a lot of discussion and it once again remains controversial. Yes, there's there's been quite a few films that have been banned and finally they've sort of come out to, to Australia and you know, people Which can watch them. Uh, one was Salo. You may oh, not have may not have no. heard of it, but um, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, it was was quite a bit of violence in it, and right. it's it's interesting where they draw the line with uh, violence or what? What? How do you? Where do you sit on this? Do you have an intuition about it or? Um, oh, that's that's a good question. Um, it's one thing when when the interviewee asks me. Yeah. <laughs> Turn the tables. Yeah. Well, philosopher will just stay non-committal and just tell you where the debate's at. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah I think well, intuitions are helpful to get into the puzzle, but sometimes you know they don't quite work out. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, I suppose I am am non-committal about it. I mean, I have seen a lot of films that have been banned, and I, I saw. I mean. When I was in the theatre to see them, I, I, I did see other people leave, they'd walk out, even though they were forewarned. Right. But I, I'd sat, sat through them. I, I I don't mind that type of thing. I think it takes a lot to frighten or, or scare me, really. But right. <laughs> maybe that's why I watch so many horror movies. I keep waiting yeah. for a scary one, but it never appears. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you weren't you weren't done in by the Blair Witch Project then, like oh, like not at all. No, no. I live in hope of watching a scary yeah. movie. But, <laughs> but it's an interesting thing, isn't it? That we do want sometimes we want our art to completely overwhelm us in ways that and immerse mm. us in these in these terrifying feelings. But you know, obviously, we wouldn't want wish that on ourselves in real life. But we're sort of, as part mm. of our entertainment, we're happy to take it on. I mean, that in itself, I think, is quite curious. It, it yeah. is. It is, really, yeah. And uh, I was interviewing another woman, actually, and she mentioned about horror movies and a little bit about the philosophy behind them So, so and, and about people 
going watching them to be scared and how it can actually make you feel more secure in your own life as well you know there's sort of a, a place a time and a place for it but but uh, yeah I suppose that's a whole nother interview as well yeah. <laughs> so yeah. is there anything else you'd like to add that we haven't already covered I mean I just I I, I do think that um philosophy of arts one of those interesting areas so it kind of grew out of aesthetics which um is really more the idea of you know the kind of sensations we get um primarily I mean initially when it was talked about people were interested in nature and art and contrived artworks as if they were in one of the same experience now we think these two things are very separate but I think that there's been a resurgence recently in interest on philosophy of art because it looks like it's a great gateway case to all sorts of things that we're interested in learning about the mind spontaneity for one um where we're finding it difficult now with our AIs to program for things like spontaneity because you know, to have a rule bound spontaneity, as you, you know, as you can imagine, feels like an oxymoron. Um, and things like our, our senses of moving through time and being in, in some kind of flow of time, which artworks can actually disrupt by, our, you know, contemplation of them can disrupt that sense or have us shifting around in ways that feel a little bit like mental time travel. And these are really under researched areas. So I have great hopes that philosophy of art will provide not only greater enjoyment of the artworks themselves but also end up making a real contribution to the canon so if you're interested in philosophy and you're interested in art stick with it (laughs) yeah for sure now that's an interesting point I know when I was at school there was a there was a framed print on the wall of Van Gogh the sunflowers and every time I see that it sort of takes me back to when I was when I was in primary school and that was that was sort of hanging on the wall. So it can sort of transport you back in time and, and gives you memories as well, can't it? Yeah, yeah, it can very much. I think artworks are great um, prompts for nostalgic moments. So do you have any future study plans within this field? Uh, at the moment, actually, I'm, I'm um, very generously funded by a British Society of Aesthetics um, postdoc fellowship for a year because I'm looking into actually um, this aspect of time, time and what what it has to do with beauty in static artworks. So obviously it just seems obvious that time's involved in in a beautiful piece of music um, in terms of rhythm and and maybe kind of these kind of aspects. But we've kind of thought up till now that perhaps it wasn't implicated in things like the work of a Van Gogh or a Caravaggio or any of these older works and I think that's probably um, overlooking something significant about the way that memory and emotion intrudes into these um, and enriches these kinds of appreciative experiences so I'm spending the year doing my literature review and writing up some some work on that and then uh, yeah and then I hope to continue with my other project which is more about art and emotion which is my kind of pet interest (laughs) Oh, that sounds great. Well, thanks very much for coming onto the program today. Thank you. Thanks for inviting me. And I've been speaking with Dr. Vanessa Brassi about the philosophy of art. Hope you've enjoyed the program and do stay tuned for Dinosaur Prize Surprise. <laughs>